We love outnumbered in our house. Um, I'll just let you know it's not a model of our house. Um, and uh, Karen uh, is the star, I think. And uh, uh, dust to dust, for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, may the force be with you, because you're worth it. Amen and out. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. Um, I just, I just, I, I just had so much fun just making that up with the subtitles. I just watched it again and again, and it's just uh, maybe we should watch it again in, in a minute. Um, it, it is very funny, uh, but it, it, it's it's that confusion of the wedding ceremony, the funeral. Um, it's like four weddings and a funeral, isn't it? Um, Star Wars, um, L'Oreal. <laughs> uh, and prayer, confused with uh, two-way radio, <laughs> amen and out. Uh, uh, it's also a bit cringy, if you're honest. Um, a little bit cringy. Uh, I don't think we would have been allowed to watch that uh, when we were kids. It would have been turned off. It would have been considered blasphemous. Um, I think it's quite sweet. I also think it's quite sad. Um, because if you watch the series, you realise that Karen actually knows more about God than a lot of people around us do today. And yet what she has is snippets and caricatures, and it's all mixed up uh, with, with fantasy, uh, with advertising, uh, with the cult of self. And, and really, uh, although it's very funny, it's, it's a bit of a sad commentary on our post-Christian, post-modern, self-sufficient, individualistic society. Don't feel guilty about laughing at it. It was funny. Uh, But it is a sad commentary on our society. And I do suspect she knows more than a lot of people around us. So how are we going to change the way people think about God and the church. How are we going to do that? Isaac Watts wrote one of my favorite hymns, and it goes, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. People and realms of every tongue Dwell on his love with sweetest song, and infant voices shall proclaim the early blessings on his name. Don't you long for people like Karen to really know Jesus and to know his blessings? Is that just wishful thinking of Isaac Watts from a bygone age? Is it, I wonder? So this week we come to um, near the end of our series on the church and we're looking at the people of God. We started our series with the church and Jesus' words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But how is Jesus going to build his church So we're going to look at the church as the people of God. Now, Daniel, 
prophesying in a time when there was much opposition, uh, but he was seeing forward to a time when there was going to be even greater opposition. Said, the people, now I love the King James for this, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Titus 2. Let's just read this together. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all mankind, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people... For his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The theme of the people of God is actually the theme of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever tried to take in the whole of the Bible and to see what its big themes are. Um, But uh, my my dictionary of biblical theology says the Bible message is in essence that God is at work to bring into into being a people under his rule and in his place. The idea of the people of God, therefore, stands at the heart of biblical theology. This is where the Bible starts and ends. And I'll I'll give you the smiley diagram. Uh, The Bible starts with Genesis 1 and 2 and the creation, uh, God's people in God's place with God's blessing. In the garden, Adam and Eve, an amazing picture of, well, we call it paradise, don't we? Uh, And the Bible ends, Revelation 21 and 22, with another garden, another paradise. Very similar. If you actually go and look at it, we haven't got time to do that today, but if we looked at the the Genesis account and we looked at the Revelation account, you see there are are rivers, uh, there are trees, uh, there is people... Uh, There is God uh, together with his people. And the rest of the Bible is really the bit in between. The Bible is in three halves. (laughs) The Bible is in three halves. Genesis 1 and 2. 
Revelation 21 and 22, and then the bit in between. And we're somewhere in that bit in between. But who are the people of God? That's a really important question. There's a lot of confusion about this question. Um, If you watch some Christian TV, um, you'll find a lot of confusion about who the people of God are. If you look to the many denominations of the church, you'll find confusion about who the people of God are. Indeed, some people think they're the only people of God. Um, some people are such a small group and so, so, so insignificant that they think only God knows about them. Um, there's confusion today about Israel and there's confusion about Jerusalem. Uh, there are terms banded around about replacement theology. Um, I'm not going to get into a lot of that, uh, but it's important to understand who the people of God are. Now, there's a book that I recommended about a year and a half ago, and I'm going to recommend it again. Uh, it's now in two editions. Uh, so uh, you, some of you may have seen the book, may have the book, may even have read the book. Um, you know, some people said, have you, have you read the Bible? No, I've seen the, the TV program, or I wear the T-shirt. Uh, no, I encourage you uh, to get the book. Um, and read this. It's a way of piecing, it's not the only way, but it's a way of piecing the Bible together. Um, It's by Vaughan Roberts. It's um, widely loved within New Frontiers, so it's safe, okay? Recommended reading. Um, And his big thesis is that the Bible is about the kingdom of God, which is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And uh, I have shown you this diagram before, and for you at the back, even though you're at the front, it's a bit of an eye test. Uh, I don't want you to worry. Too. There's a bit of the, the sort of um, smiley diagram coming into this. You start with the creation, you end with the new creation, and uh, everything else happens in between. So he calls uh, the Garden of Eden the pattern of the kingdom. That is Adam and Eve... God's people in God's place, Eden, living under his rule and blessing. But very quickly, as we know, in Genesis 3, uh, the the kingdom is perished. Um, And then later on, uh, there is a promised kingdom to Abraham. And later on, uh, there is a partial kingdom as Israel is formed and as they have kings and God's law. Uh, But that disappoints Uh, That doesn't deliver all the promises of God. That doesn't bring us to glory. In fact, the pinnacle of this kingdom is David and then Solomon, and then from then on it's really downhill. And actually, David and Solomon aren't that brilliant, if you read carefully, uh, not to be put on a pedestal. So there is then a a time when, uh, after a little bit of a a move upwards, there's a big decline down into the exile, and uh, Israel almost ceases to exist. And there is a remnant to whom certain prophecies are given in exile. So there's a prophesied kingdom, uh, which is making promises to the remnant and actually to the nations. Talk of a new covenant. um, Talk of a new people of God 
And then the kingdom becomes very present when Jesus appears. Jesus is uh, a second Adam. He's, well, he's the second Adam. He is the true Israel. He's the true tabernacle. He's the true temple. And uh, the kingdom has arrived. Uh, in fact, Jesus uses that language. So the kingdom is here. Uh, he, he says, um, you know, those things that have been prophesied a kingdom, today they are fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, he talks a, about him, himself as a temple. Uh, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And, and everything from the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus at this moment. But then Jesus uh, returns uh, to the Father and there is uh, the proclaimed kingdom at Pentecost when the church is formed. Uh, this is the new Israel made up not just of Jews but Jews and Gentiles uh, and it is everywhere. In fact, it is to go into the whole world, the people of God, the church, uh, looking forward to the perfected kingdom when Jesus comes again and there is a heavenly city coming down to earth and the new Jerusalem uh, made up of people from every nation and uh, forever in the presence of God, um, never in darkness, and never to, to fall again. It's a glorious story, uh, and that's 66 of the Bibles, 66 books of the Bible, which, um, which go to make that one story. They all fit uh, within that framework. So who, who are the people of God? Well, um, one of the distinctions, interesting, Callie read from Romans 5, and I, I had in my back pocket to read from Romans 5. Is that right? Um, because it, it talks uh, very clearly about this, uh, you know, you, you were in Adam and you're now in Christ. In one, all died, and in one, all are made alive. And so there are really two groups of people in the world. Uh, the Bible teaches there's a group of people who are in Adam, and there are a group of people who are in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, again using similar language, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And we've been singing about that, haven't we? We'll be raised with him. Uh, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So to be the people of God now is to be in Christ. It's not a matter of being born into the nation of Israel. It's about being spiritual descendants of Abraham, people who believe, who trust God, who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 1-2 maybe helps a little bit. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God, he's writing to the people of God at a locality. He says, you're in Corinth. If he wrote to us, he'd say the church of Christ in Wrexham. And they are in Christ. They are part of a global family now. 
of Christ's people. But they are part of something bigger, and it's, it's exciting that we've been able to recognise that this morning uh, in our gift day, uh, that we're able to send Nigel and Kelly from Wrexham to a conference in Turkey where they will meet with other people from around the world who are part of just a small part of the people of God worldwide. And we can express that together. But it's all about Jesus. Uh, you know, that's one of my favorite songs. Isaac Watts' hymn continues. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to loose his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. Where he displays his healing power, death and the curse are known no more. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. To be the people of God is to be under God's rule and blessing. To be the people of God now is to know blessing like God's people have never known before. Do you realize how privileged we are? The people in the Old Testament looked forward to this day. They looked forward to Jesus and they were excited. But we live the other side of Jesus. We live the other side of the resurrection, of the ascension, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have privileges that the Old Testament people of God could only dream of. What it is to be the people of God. I, I, was, I was struck by that phrase, in him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Is that right? I mean, Adam and Eve, before the fall, were without sin. Uh, they enjoyed communion with God in the garden. What sense do we have more blessings than them? Well, one hymn they would not have sung in the garden is Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Adam and Eve in the garden didn't know what it was to receive saving grace, redeeming grace from God. And we do. That's just one blessing that we have that they didn't have. Now let me read um, from a theologian. Uh, He says, Christ was the second Adam. He came not only to bear our punishment for us, but also to obtain for us the righteousness and life that Adam had to secure by obedience. He delivered us from guilt and punishment and placed us at the end of the road Adam had to walk, not at the beginning. 
He gives us much more than we lost in Adam. Not only the forgiveness of sin and release from punishment, but also and immediately in faith, the not being able to sin and not being able to die. I think that's brilliant. It's a guy called Herman Bavink. (laughs) You see that Adam was given a path of obedience and actually he didn't reach the end of that path. But in Christ, we are put at the end of the path of obedience because Christ obeyed God perfectly. And we stand in Christ as his people. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I think that's stunning. (laughs) But there is a question, isn't there? Um, So the people of God are in Christ, uh, but what if you're not the people of God? What if you're not part of the people of God? We talked about some of the blessings it is to be the people of God. In the Old Testament, um, there was always a contrast between the blessings of obedience and the curse for disobedience. So to be in Christ is to be blessed. To be in Adam is to be cursed. So if you're not in Christ today, you are lost If you're not in Christ today, you're dead in your sins. If you're not in Christ today, you're heading for judgment. The contrast couldn't be even any greater, I don't think, between being in Adam and being in Christ. But as we said in worship... Jesus has a name for a purpose. His name is Jesus. That's the um, modernized or the Greek form of Yeshua, uh, Joshua. God saves. You will call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus himself said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then at the birth of the church, um, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, in the last days it shall be, declares, in fact he's quoting Joel, isn't he, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in the days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. I think it's interesting the way those things go together. The prophecy, the proclamation of the gospel is so that people will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And we see that at Pentecost. So if you're not in Christ today, it's very simple. Call on the name on the Lord of the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And then you will become part of his people. Now in the Old Testament there's a wonderful illustration of what it is to become a Christian. And it's in the story of Ruth. As I was preparing this, I was looking through, uh, cheating, just with a Bible search tool, looking for the phrase, my people, their God, or your God. Right? And there's many references to that. But when Ruth is being sort of told to go her own way, she says, no. She says, your people will be my people, and your God my God. Now Ruth obviously understood something of what it is to be one of God's people. It's to belong to God and it's to belong to his people too. And the two come together. In fact, in Exodus 6 verse 7 we hear these words for the first time. I will take you, this is God talking to Israel, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I think Ruth understood something of that. To have salvation, to be one of God's people, is to be one of God's people. Not just to be an isolated believer in God, but to be part of his community. I think Ruth has a lot to teach us in our individualistic society about that. And in Leviticus 26 verse 12, I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I found, I think, over 30 references that are of that form. And then there are other ones. Um, then you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, and all the way through Scripture, God talks to Israel as my people. The people that know their God will be strong and do exploits. One Peter two nine and ten. We've been here before, and we're going to spend some time uh, with this on the screen, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It seems Peter knows his Bible as well as Ruth. Um, Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. I was quite astonished by this. I hadn't noticed this before. Um, Just before God gives the law to the Israelites, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's no replacement theology. It's just the fulfillment. God promised to Abraham that through his descendant, that is Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so this promise that God made with his people is mirrored in the new covenant. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation becomes you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church is grafted in to Israel. The church sees the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. So let's not get confused about those things. So to be the people of God is about identity. I don't know how you consider your identity. Uh, Is it a, a clothing label? Um, Is it a car you drive? Uh, Is it your employer? Yes, I'm Phil. I work for Sun Microsystems. Well, I used to. Um, Is it your nationality? I know some people wear their nationality very, very obviously and want everyone to know. (laughs) Is it where you go shopping? I'm Sainsbury's. Oh, no, we go to Morrison's. Um, Is it where you like to go on holiday? Is that your identity? Is it the things you like to do with your spare time? Is it the music you listen to? Is it the phone, MP3 player, computer? No. That isn't our identity in Christ. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. When we come to Christ, that should be how we are. There's a line in a... um, in a hymn that talks about how being in Christ renders all distinctions void. Names and sects go. And Jesus is all in all. No, you're my God and your people are my people.
Is that how you feel about being a Christian? Is that how you feel about being in Christ? Once you were not a people, uh, but now you are a people. You are a chosen race. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, in, in, uh, we, we've already looked at many other metaphors for the church, the body, the city, the dwelling of God, uh, the army of the Lord, uh, the bride. Now, um, Tim has chosen a bride, and uh, that is forsaking all others. Jesus has chosen a bride, forsaking all others. You are a chosen people. You're different. There's some that are not his people, and you are his people. You're a royal priesthood. You've got dignity. You are sons of a king. Uh, Through what Jesus has done on the cross, you can go boldly into the presence of the king of heaven. And you are... You are a holy nation. You have been separated out. You're distinct. You are to be separate. You are to be distinct. You are to be holy because you are a holy nation. And you are a people belonging to God. You know that as a believer. You're not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. You're not your own. No, we are a people belonging to God. And our state has changed. Once we had not received mercy. Once we were under God's judgment and under God's wrath. But now, we have received mercy. (coughs) Liberation. Once we were in bondage to death, and now we're set free from the power of death. We've been singing a lot about, I don't want to go over this too much, because we've been singing about it this morning. Uh, That's glorious, isn't it? This is our song This is the God we have, a God who saved, a God who loved us so much that he gave his son to save us, that we should be a people for him. Once we were in darkness, now we're in light. That's what defines us. That's our identity, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who have been shown mercy, people who are now living in light. That is our identity. And we we need now to live up to what we are. And we're on a mission. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us. And we had a little bit of a practice of that this morning. Uh, Together we were singing of the excellencies of him who has called us. Um, I say it's a practice because hardly anyone heard it. And what we have sung together today in this room, loudly, uh, we must sing together 
in the world tomorrow. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Because as Habakkuk, I managed to say Habakkuk, Habakkuk, 1.14 says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen because we are together on a mission. Um, a little bit more of big picture biblical theology um, on the idea of filling the earth. It's there in Genesis 1, verse 28, and God says to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's there too uh, with Noah in Genesis 9, exactly the same words, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then there's a problem Uh, There's a city called Babel and they want to build a tower to show how great they are. And God looks at them and says, these have become a people. That's interesting. And so I will confuse them. I will give them different languages and scatter them to the ends. Because what was happening is they, they were focusing on one place and God says, no, I want you to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And they said, no, we'd rather come together into one place and build a name for ourselves. And God is saying, no, I'd rather you went into the ends of the earth and built a name for me. Thank you very much. So he scattered them. And then... God comes soon after that. See, God at that point doesn't have a people. He comes to Abraham. Actually, he comes to Abraham, and he makes him Abraham. And he says, I will make you a great nation, people. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So all those people who have been scattered just one chapter before are going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And the glory of God is going to spread into the whole world. And Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, we've had that. Uh, I will indeed... Sorry, if you will indeed... Obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasure position among the nations, among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this idea of filling the earth with the glory of God is a big theme already and it goes on doesn't it we know when jesus ascended into heaven he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age. So again, Jesus is commanding his people, his church, to go out 
into the whole world so that the whole world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then something amazing happens. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And bang, Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, God pours out his spirit on all mankind. And what happens at Pentecost? The curse of Babel is reversed. What happened at Babel is that confusion comes through many different languages. But at Pentecost, they speak in many languages the praises of God so that people turn to God, call on the name of the Lord, and are saved. Now that's brilliant. To be the people of God after Pentecost, wow. This is something that can't fail. You know, I, I was, um, I think I got into, a, I put something on my post about how the National Lottery is as a tax on, uh, I think I said stupidity, probably not <coughs> quite that strong, on the gullible. But it holds out this tiny, tiny chance of immense riches. And the gospel comes to us as the people of God and guarantees 100% success. <laughs> the people of God. You'd be relieved to know we're coming to the end of this. The people of God. You are a royal priesthood. You. I'll go back to Karen at the beginning. One of the things that came through very heavily in that little, lovely little thing was because you're worth it. And our society is just awash with the cult of self. And that affects the way we read the Bible. Whenever we read the word you in the scriptures, because of our society, because of the way that we're trained to think by society, we almost invariably think me. This text won't let us do that, will it? You are a what? A royal priesthood, not a royal priest. You are a holy nation, not a holy person. Uh, but if you go back through most of the New Testament, I mean, the, the great thing is the Greek allows you to, to see this very, very plainly. But almost every you in the New Testament is plural. So we can't claim it as an individual promise from, from God for me exclusively. It is a promise from God for his people. We are his people. So you is plural, it's not individualistic. Now we've got one more week of uh, this series on the church and then we're doing a series of four based on Acts chapter 2 uh, where we're told that they were devoted to the apostles' 
doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And we're going to do a series of four sermons called Devoted. And what God is calling us to as a church is devotion to him and his people. When we stand up week after week and we plead with you to come to the prayer meeting, we are asking you to be devoted to God and his people. It's not just because we like to see lots of bottoms on seats. Um, We are devoted to God and to each other. Our society would make religion individualistic. It would make it postmodern. It would be whatever works for you. That's fine if you believe that. No, we are the people of God. We are together on a mission. We are to declare his glories. Throughout the world, the only way we're going to do this is as a people. I don't know if you come to church out of a sense of guilt or just because it it gives you a lift, but actually the New Testament would encourage you to come not for yourself, but for everyone else, to build them up, to encourage them. Now, if everyone did that in the church, then you wouldn't have to worry because somebody would do that for you. I think one of our challenges is that when there are just a few people who do the building up and the encouraging, the building up and encouraging is in short supply. But if we all come together as the people of God to build up and encourage one another then we are acting as the people of God. The book of Hebrews would encourage us to do this. It speaks to us uh, almost with um, Karen's brethren. Brethren, take care lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another... Monthly, Uh, exhort one another weekly, stretching it by the look of it this morning. (laughs) Exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, I'm not going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm a spiritual person. I don't need to go to church. Oh, really? For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How are you going to hold your confidence firm to the end? You need to be with the people of God. And guess what? They need you too. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one will fall by the same sort of disobedience as we see in the Old Testament. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions 
of the heart. Who's discerning your thoughts and intentions? You think you've got that covered? No. We need to open the word of God together. We need to apply the word of God together. And Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. What was in your heart as you came here this morning? Can I suggest before next week's service, when we meet together to worship God and to encourage one another and to declare his excellencies to each other, to practice that so that we can take it out into the world so that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover it. Can I suggest that you go to Psalm 122 as your preparation for coming together next week? A song of a sense of David. That's one they sung as they went up to the temple together. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There... Thrones for judgment were set, and thrones of the house of David. Don't wait for next week, actually. Let's do it tonight. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace, peace be within your walls, and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace to you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. To seek the good of Israel, the people of God, the church is actually to seek your own good as well, if you must have that motivation. It is a a question of priorities. It is a question of where we, we spend our time. So, Psalm 122 for next week. That's your homework. And come with gladness into the house of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have determined to have a people for yourself. I will be their God and they will be my people. Father, we thank you that it's your determination 
to bless all nations of the earth for your glory to be as widely spread as the waters cover the sea. And Father, we want to declare your excellencies. We want to proclaim your goodness. Uh, You've given us so many privileges. (laughs) In Jesus, we have so many more blessings than our father Adam lost. And we are your people, your possession, your chosen, your called, your holy people, your royal priesthood. And that's what we want to be. So Jesus, come and have your way. We, 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 we thought at the beginning of how you stand amongst the lampstands. And... Uh, to know that you are near, that we have you, your presence, by your spirit. Lead us ever onward. Uh, We look forward to that glorious day when you will be seen, every eye, see him coming with the clouds of heaven. Lord Jesus, we long for that day, speed that day, and in the meantime, equip your church to spread the good news of an amazing saviour and a glorious kingdom. Help us to be your church, your people in Wrexham. Help us to declare your excellencies to Wrexham and to North Wales and beyond. Be glorified in us, Lord Jesus. Father, hear us in his name.